Greetings, everybody, and welcome to another installment of Innovation Crush. Hey, Ben Parr. Hello. How are you doing? It's good to see you. CD. CD. Um, so in case you guys are tuning in for the first time, this show covers all things innovation, ideas, creativity, and uh, we're coming at you live from South by Southwest Walmart Spark Lounge. Did you get a chance to walk around the lounge at all? Did it's you? a really nice lounge, like even by South by Southwest standards, really well done. What's that? Wait, what, that sounded like kind of like a dig. What's no, no, by no, no, South no. By, by South South by South by South. No, actually, lounges at South by Southwest do a really good job. Is the opposite. Oh, I say okay. See? Gotcha. Like at South by South, by, well, the people like up their game for lounges. But this is like another level. Like the view is great, and the food is good, and there's coffee everywhere, and there's like bartending. You can't ask for much more. And you, you probably didn't catch the robots in the VR. So I, I I looked at, but I have not yet tried. So I'm hoping I get to try before I leave. Yeah, try the robot. Um, not the dance. It's, that would be a whole other. Hashtag thing. try the robot. Hashtag. It's a new campaign. <laughs> Actually, there's a tripod, which is a big movement in podcasting right now. That is tri podcasts, and it's like a big movement to get people to try podcasts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. By the time this airs, it'll be over. <laughs> <laughs> when you do things live, everything can happen. Exactly. Um, so, all right. So now that we've gotten our familiarities out of the way, um, what if you started by giving me a little bit of a 101 on who Ben Parr is? How do you describe yourself to strangers of the world? So, you know, a couple years, you know, 1985, um, I was conceived and I came into the world. Okay, I'm not going to even do I, that. When you said 19, I, I went right into hip-hop mode. I just, I felt like breakdancing, like you were birthed in an era of the birth of hip-hop. You know, maybe that's my inspiration in life <laughs> and why I, 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 D, A, F. Yes, I, D, G, A. I, D, G. See, this is, I don't give a fuck. Well, yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, so for those who don't know me, my original, like I've done a bunch of things. My original claim to fame is I was the co-editor and editor-at-large of Mashable, the technology news website. Uh, I ran it for three and a half years when I was 24, way too young to run such a thing. Uh, went West Coast, uh, 2,446 articles, eventually left. And you know, why do you know that number so well? Like uh, 2,440, like what you got sometime you count it, and then I count it afterwards. And I just like, I know that number, <laughs> it's, but, it's a good number to know, wh but why? Like, with, with I, I mean, you're exceptionally geeky, which is uh, which is the you know, on the cool side of it, but that is an interesting thing to just go, like, I'm gonna count, I'm gonna people, count all my articles. People asked. A lot of people ask. So I just, huh. And it's not that hard to count. You just have to figure out how many pages. Like, you know, articles are pagination. You figure out how many pages, how many articles on each page, and then you multiply. Okay. All right. So it was easy. It was an easy task. It wasn't it, like you went through, like, you just clicked through all the things that had your name in it. No, I would never have done that. <laughs> I don't have the patience for that. Not even at all. All right. So after Mashable, then what was, what was next on your journey? Then I started, like, I did a column for CNET, and I invested in a couple startups, like Ubeam, the wireless electricity company. Shots, which I invested in with Justin Bieber, which is always a fun story. And then <laughs> I wrote a book called Captivology on the science and psychology of attention, why we pay attention to certain people and products, and how to utilize that science to captivate others. And then, oh. No. Uh, why do people pay attention to you? No, uh, because I don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, no, look. So I actually went through like a really detailed amount of information, over 300 years of scientific research and attention and memory and dozens of interviews and over a thousand research studies to understand what is attention at a psychological level and how does that affect everything we do? And then how do you capture attention using that psychology? 
And so, you know, I had the chance to talk to the world's top PhDs and researchers in neurology, psychology, memory, as well as business leaders, everyone from like Sheryl Sandberg, Steven Soderberg, uh, Shigeru Miyamoto, the creator of Super Mario, yeah. David Copperfield. They were all, uh, I interviewed or contributors to the book and very thankful for that. And it turned into like this really like interesting scientific, but also practical tome on attention and what it is in the modern era. Uh, what is attention in the because I, I mean that's a, that's a lot of great inputs. I mean e even the fact of uh, David Copperfield, which is right like as a manipulation of attention in a sense, um, versus uh, Sheryl Sandberg, where like we want your attention all day, every day on every platform. So you, I don't know where like where's the what did what did you learn mo most as as part of this uh, exercise? So like with the, each one taught me something different, like. David's is, I feel like you can call him manipulation. What he's I a really, handsome fellow, by the way. So he's, what he's really good is understanding his audience and their biases and framing against that. Because he knows more. Like, when I met him, what I realized is, like, he, he thinks a lot about stage presence, even if he's doing, like, a panel or something. And he does that because he wants to make sure the absolute best experience possible is given to the audience. And so he knows his audience, frankly, better than we know our audiences right. and be, he just like, it's like in his DNA to like perfect that experience. And so that's probably, he captures attention by understanding his audience supremely well. Um, Cheryl, like it kind of depends, like the Facebook side is also about knowing your audience, but it's also yeah. being able to inspire. And so Cheryl's an inspiring figure who has um, had lots of tough times and has done a lot of amazing things. And what I realized is one of the things I learned from her is that the masters of attention the, you know, the Zuckerbergs and uh, leaders of the world generally don't capture attention by saying me, 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 me. They captivate us by uh, being inspiring and by doing something great and having a cause, you know? Right. And so attention, people a lot of think of as like, I shouldn't court attention, that's bad. But in the modern era, attention is the modern currency of the, of the economy. You can't do anything without attention. You want to build a charity, you want to do a startup, you have to understand how attention works and that's part of the reason why i wrote the book yeah cause you, you, and so another part of your life right you you know um through your investment fund end up coaching and advising a ton of different startups is that kind of like the lane is that your superpower when you go and talk to all these companies is it the idea of attention is it like what's the sort of the ben par superpower in terms of that coaching ecosystem and, and teaching people things <laughs> Though, again, my, my coaching strength is I don't sugarcoat. And here's the thing. Uh, so I, I do less of it now since I have now a startup. Yeah. But at, when I do coach and I coach, you know, my existing portfolio companies and the companies that I advise, like Rebel Mouse and Angel Hack and such, I would, my biggest thing is everyone wants to coddle. And be like, oh, we want to uh, foster entrepreneurship. Oh, that's a great idea. Go explore that more. But that does a complete disservice. The vast majority of ideas suck. They just right. do. Or the <laughs> timing sucks. Or the founders are not right for it. And a lot of pain and a lot of economic uh, unvalue, let's call it, does not it like could be avoided by like simply telling some people like, look. This idea will not work because I've seen 27 other companies do this kind of thing. Right. And they run into the same problem every time. And maybe I'm wrong, but usually I'm right on this kind of subject. And it may be better for you to come up with a different idea or to work under the tutelage of a great set of founders to learn how to be a great entrepreneur. I do feel like too many people 
like right after college, like the first thing they want to do or right in college is start a company. And sometimes that works, but sometimes it's a lot better to get a few years of startup and management and it, life experience. experience, right? Like, yeah. and I, 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 you know, when I do speak at colleges, I, I talk about like, you, you have to go experience some problems in order to come up with a product that solves some problems, right? And if you're most times coming out of college, yeah, they're a Snapchat, right? Dorm room, you know, story of, of their founding. But like going out and actually experiencing life in some way, like getting your ass kicked a little bit and going like, okay, now I know. But see, but see for every Evan Spiegel, Snapchat, you also have like, you know, like Travis Kalanick of Uber is, for, is, in, is in his 40s and uh, the Airbnb founders like in his like mid to late 30s and um, you know, there's other, a lot of companies like, you know, Salesforce was start, he started in like his like late 40s or yeah. 50s. So there's Colonel like, Sanders started when he was in his 60s. You, you can be an entrepreneur <laughs> at any time, but that experience can be invaluable, especially if you like you need more time to figure out what the right thing is. That's awesome. Um, advice is a weird thing, right? Like, well, cause either you take it or you don't, and like, either you're right or you're wrong. I always use like Eminem as an example because a bunch of people turned him down and probably told him to do other things with his life. And then Dr. Dre was like, you know what? Let, let me see. And in that whole ecosystem, there's opinions and expertise that gets translated and digested and turned into something. Um, I don't know. Like, what has been your experience with that exchange of, I think you should do this, but be a, you're on your own. I usually preface it by telling people you you're gonna have to throw out a, like thirty to forty percent of the advice you receive is gonna be super applicable, and you got to throw the rest out because you're gonna know your company better than anybody. Where you where you fail is if you become just defensive, and so you right. gotta process. No matter what feedback you get, you gotta process it in some way yeah. and be like, this makes sense for our company, or this you know I've thought about it and it doesn't make sense because the we're going after X Y Z and. You, you know, maybe that person didn't know that or something. Yeah. But the like one of the things that immediately turns me off from investing or advising any founder is when they become defensive. You give them a piece of criticism or you give them a piece of advice and they're just like they're, they're like arguing with you. You know you can't do anything with them because they're too pigheaded to right. change and adapt. And the best founders have to adapt because a company that you start at the seed pre-seed stage is not the same as a seed company, is not the same as a Series B company. And it completely changes an evolution. And you have to be super flexible and change significantly as a leader if you want to succeed as a long-term founder. What, and why do people get so rigid about, you know, about their, th like about their baby? It's like a, almost like an artist writes a song and you're like, Oh, you know, you should probably play a C right there instead of a B. And he's like, no, no. And he takes, but what's the rigidity in the marriage to their vision? Like, is that like, where does that come from? Have you, have you seen? If I told you your baby was ugly, you'd like, well, my baby is ugly. So, wow. See, That's Oh, I'm sorry. Both I'm, of them. I, oh, both of them? Sorry, guys. Sorry, kids. <laughs> Maybe all babies are really <laughs> Look, All babies are no, kind of a little weird. People, people, it's your baby, so people become defensive. And they're, they're like, don't tack my baby. My baby's perfect. They believe too much in the perfection of their vision and their ideas. And in themselves, in the process, when the truth of the matter is, you probably don't know what the hell you're doing. And the vast majority of us don't. Like with my company, Octane AI, we're just we're hiring people who know a ton more than us in different areas because like, you know, I, I don't know some of the nuances of maybe sales for example. So we'll hire someone who's much better at that. And my job is not to be the master of every subject. My job is to provide the resources 
and whatever that person needs in order to be super successful right. at his or her job. I was, I see, I was going to, my segue was going to be, she don't mind, she don't mind, she don't mind. You can't see me dancing. Octane. See? Octane. Um, talk about Octane.ai for a second. Um, your sort of new venture into bots and, and artificial intelligence. Um, but you're probably going to do a far better job of explaining it than I will. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get you there. Do you know? <laughs> I'm going to just do background vocals. Just to... You know, please. No. So I uh, and may I, I want to sing it. <laughs> I'm going to find a way to rap it, but not this time. Okay. In in May, I uh, with my two co-founders, Matt Schlicht, first had a product at UStream, Forbes under thirty, Y Combinator alum, and my other co-founder, Leaf K. Brooks, the creator of Omegle, one of the largest chat platforms on the planet. We created Octane AI, and version one was to solve the problem of we. If I told you there was a social app. With a billion users, wouldn't you try to figure out some kind of strategy to engage with those billion people? Sure. Like, especially if nobody was doing it. And if it, Facebook Messenger, it has a billion users. That is Snapchat plus Instagram plus Twitter combined. Right. Which is crazy when you think about it. But yet no one thinks, like, I'm going to have a strategy for this app. I'm not going to have – like, they don't even think that they can because it's a one-on-one -on -one messaging thing. But you can through a bot. And so what we do is, like, first version, make it really easy to create this presence in the same way that you have an email marketing strategy, a social media strategy, right. or even just a website. You're going to have a bot. You just have to. As, like, as 3 billion people use messaging apps. And so we made it really easy to do that. Uh, then we realized, like, part of the thing with bots, chatbots, all that sort of thing is, what's the real reason to come back? And a lot of them right now feel like version 1.0 websites. They're kind of... Yeah. Uh, one-time use is a really reason to be there. And we realized, like, bots should not be like, say, mobile apps where you, like, find them in an app store. They're more like content. They're more like a YouTube channel or more like a blog where you don't discover a YouTuber by going to a YouTuber app store. You discover them by stumbling upon a piece of content that got shared and right. went viral, a video. So we're doing the same thing for bots. You're allowing you to build an audience on Messenger through viral content. And so we have these things called convos. It's like the blog post equivalent for Facebook Messenger for a bot. And you can write them out a conversation between you and your audience that they can have one-on-one -on -one with the bot. So give, me, so, so give me an example, right? Like is it, let's say I'm McDonald's <laughs> and I come to you and and then what happens? So I'll give you a real life example. Oh, so, me, okay. So, what, so I'm not McDonald's. What, the first people to ever use convos was Maroon 5. And so Maroon 5 has a bot with us, the... And what they did was they wanted to, one, have a way to engage with their audience more, and two, to help, you know, build their audience on Messenger to uh, help release their new single, Cold, which came out and hit the charts. And so what happened was about two months before, they started sharing convos. And so a convo could be something like, you know, let us tell you about our top five favorite moments from 2016 okay. or things like that. Like, you could be anything. You could do recipes. You could do uh, any kind of convo. The same thing, like, what could you write in a blog post? Same thing. And so they did, they made these convos and they shared them. You get a unique URL and then they put it on their Facebook page with 39 million fans and all over their Twitter and all of their social media and they shared it all across. Right. And so thousands of people started talking to the bot and to subscribe to the Maroon 5 bot because they're fans. And then 24 hours before the single came out, they released exclusively a 10 second clip of their song through the bot only. And when they did that, we, ha we saw what happened was within 24 hours, the size of the bot, the amount of people talking to it, doubled. 
because it went viral, we allowed people to share the convo. And so friends started sending it to friends who started right. sending it to friends. It went viral within the Maroon 5 community. And the next day when they released the single, thousands of people went and clicked and bought the, the single through the bot. And we're not there yet, but, you know, it won't be that much longer until links that are shared through the bot get as many, if not more, clicks than links shared on their Facebook page of 39 million fans with a fraction of the audience. Because, hmm. like, the click-through rates and the engagement rates are ridiculous. Like, like email, like, maybe you can get, like, 5 to 30% click-through well, rates. Why, like, why is that? Like, you know, because when I look at sort of the future of bots, I'm, I'm the guy who, like, hates that there's an automated, you know... I have to push buttons when I call Sprint, and like I'm 80 pushes in, and I still have no service, right? Um, but then there's also the, on the flip side is that it could almost feel intrusive, or it's, it's a, there's a disconnect that you're interacting so passionately with the machine. Um, so, what's primed about society right now where we all feel comfortable doing that? So, I, I think of bots, or at least our bots, less like, like robots and more like. Uh, like avatars of yourself that can talk to everybody on your behalf that can showcase some pieces of your personality. It's like blogging. It showcases a piece of your personality. Right. So it's 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 more intimate. It's more conversational. It's just where people are. So it's a version of you in a sense. And it's, it's a an version extension of, yeah. of you. Yeah, that's how we think of it. It's, it's, it's a version of you in a sense that you're creating. Con it's the same way that a like blog a is a version, version of you. It's it, touch okay, sorry. We need we have we have some, pe we have some people. <laughs> we need a singing line I for all the these. Audience. Yeah, studio audience needs to like sing for that. <laughs> There's, it's a more intimate and more personal experience, and as long as you're not spamming them, people like love these, like love these bots specifically. These fans really love actually being able to directly engage with their favorite artists, and like a bunch of brands are coming out. We have a whole bunch of like you know publishers and individuals. I think like in the next like right now, people think of bots or whatever you want to call them as like some kind of fun little tool. I think a year from now, people will think of them as like one of their most important distribution sources, if not their most important. Well, at one point they were like illegal. Like it was, it, I mean, they were crazy spammy like four or five years ago. There, there's so many different versions of bots. Right. I even think that maybe the word is not the right thing. Yeah, because, like there's the bots too, yeah. at like Twitter. If you figure out there's the right Tay, word. Was, didn't Tay start cussing people out and it like did. saying racist stuff? This, to is, this is why we don't do the super hey, Tay. You can't do the super heavy machine learning yet because the technology is not quite there yet. Where like people think of chatbots as these artificially intelligent assistants that can understand everything you say, but we're not quite there yet. It will happen in a few years, I think, but we need to provide experiences that are really compelling for both the user and for the bot maker. And you can't do that yet with all all the machine learning and AI because it goes haywire. So how does how does the Octane evolve, right? Because I, I think when you're tied to a, a platform like Facebook, Facebook could tomorrow go like, you know what, we're gonna do something else. And they're like all the companies that have popped up to to service the Facebook user are like, oh shit, now what do we do? So like, do you does it become conversational commerce via text? Um, do you go out to other platforms? Like, what's the evolution for for Octane? So the first thing is like Facebook's been a really good partner. And they've they provided a lot of feedback and a lot of direction in what's happening with the roadmap. But like, and there's a billion users. So Facebook, at least Messenger specifically, we're going to perfect the experience on that. We want to make sure it's the best experience possible. And Facebook does not have the history of some other companies that like we're just going to kill everything on a platform. It wouldn't be good for their relationships with developers. They did not do that with the app with um, with the Facebook apps, and they're not going to do it with this. Right. That said, we want to be we want our platform to be where your audience is 
And so expansion is clearly in the cards. I can't tell you which platforms or how it exactly will look like, but I think it'll be more than just chat, like than a chat application. There's lots of potential things. There's everything from voice to mobile to all sorts of interfaces that we can't even imagine that are going to be possible through VR and AR and AI. Yeah. Um, you're a good storyteller. Did you know that? I've been told that before. <laughs> I don't know. So no, the, I'm going to go back to this 2446 for those of you who missed it. 2446 articles written on Mashable. Congratulations. Um, what have you learned about the art of storytelling, right? Whether it's for brand or through a journalistic lens, we all have to be a storyteller of some sort, whether you walk in a room to pitch or you are literally creating a story. Like, what have you learned about that art and how does it live in your day to day? The There's a couple of things. I think the first one is you've got to have like the intimate personal example. So people connect better with the so story. So not McDonald's, not me being McDonald's. Well, no, 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 no. What, I, what I mean. So like <laughs> I write about this in Captivology. It's called the Rokia effect. If you, in the Rokia effect, what they Rokia did. Rokia effect? Rokia, R-O-K-I-A. And they had like a inconsequential, they had a study, like people would do some kind of test that didn't matter. And at the end of the test, they'd be given like an envelope and they'd be told like, you know, you can donate up to like five or $10 to this nonprofit. And they'd give one or two stories about the nonprofit. One would be stats about like, uh, starvation of children in Africa, lots of stats about it. And the other would be the story of this young girl named Rokia, who's, you know, she's starving and she has this family and she can barely, like, she can't go to school and your donation will go to directly help her. Which one do you think got more donations? I'm, I'm not good at quizzes, but Rokia. By far, more than double. And even when they had a version that had both the stats and the Rokia story, the, the Rokia story alone performed better hmm. because we can't put ourselves in the shoes of statistics. In fact, we feel powerless in the face of large statistics because we feel like we can't make an impact against those large numbers, but we can make an impact in Rokia's life. And so if you tell like the brand story, not from the perspective of like we have 8 million customers, but instead of like, here's how we change the life of one of our customers. Right. That is far more powerful. That is far more impactful when it comes to storytelling. That's awesome. Um, it, it, where's the balance, though? Because I think Rokia is a great story if I'm going to give you money. But also, I also have to present the fact that there is a massive problem or, or mass opportunity. So, like, is there a balance between, like, let's, let's make you sad a little bit, but also tell this triumphant story as well? Hmm. Like, it just kind of depends, I guess, in part of what kind of story you want to tell, yeah. right? And so... I, one thing that's come into mind, maybe it's not relevant, but one thing that's come to mind is like um, in advertising, for example, the kinds of stories that get the most uh, attention tend to be actually ones that have suspense built into it. You, like when you're doing a mystery is one of the triggers of my book and you can build a mystery. Uh, and if you build a mystery, people will pay attention to the end because we have this uh, drive to bridge at a gap of uncertainty. Right now in advertising, you're going to like, for example, uh, one of the best commercials maybe a year or two ago was the Budweiser commercial where a puppy gets lost and trying to get back home and then the Clydesdale horses come right. and rescue it from wolves. And look, you know the puppy's going to get home. Like, they're, it's, Bud, Budweiser's not going to kill a puppy on national television, <laughs> unlike other brands. Gets but, hit by a drunk driver and it's like, don't <laughs> drink responsibly. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Oh, oh. <laughs> but that would that would have an impact. But, Literally. But you would expect that. But you, but there's still the suspense of how is the puppy going to escape and how is the puppy going to survive. And they, what they did is they had, a, they had multiple studies. They find that those where they're labeling high moment-to-moment -moment suspense 
they pay more attention and they remember those advertisements better than ones where you can predict exactly what, how it will progress. That's awesome. Um, is there a new book in the works? Mm. Is there a Captivology 2? Someday there will be another book, but I do not know when. I'm kind of a little bit busy with all the other things. <laughs> and I don't know. I don't think it'll be a Captivology 2. I think it'll be some kind of completely different book. I- I'm not sure yet, though. Maybe it'll be, f- maybe it'll be fiction. Maybe it'll be biography. Maybe I'll just write a stream of random notes. I like that idea. I like the I like the last one. Uh, <laughs> I think you'll be the only reader of that. Uh, yeah, I'll read your and random musings. Um, wh- what excites you? I, it's it's interesting because I mean we've talked about AI, we've talked about attention, we've talked about Mashable. You're equally excited about all those things. What is like the thing I don't know that that pushes you, especially? Because I would imagine even from your Mashable days till now, you've seen a lot of stuff, right? And like I get to a point sometimes where I'm like I'm talking to entrepreneurs or technologists, and I'm like, uh huh, yep, I, I, I get it. Um, like, what keeps your interest and keeps you motivated and going? Hmm. Like, there. Okay, a little bit about me. I'm a corny person. I have. <laughs> oh. I have since college. <laughs> I've had this. Uh, state purpose statement of my life and it's very very corny i'm going to just say it now it is that i have the ability and thus the responsibility to change the world for the better Hmm. which is a corny thing but it's been part of my mantra for a long time and so i try to make decisions based on how can i will this help me directly improve the world in some way or will this help me get the tools to improve the world in some way and you know for example mashable i did not necessarily think like i'm going to completely change the world i did do some great reporting and i'm really proud of it but it helped me build the network and the audience so that I could do right. more, that I could do the book, and that I could build companies and have the resources to do that properly. And I think a lot in that way, where like even when I'm 70 or 170 or 270, I'm finding Ray Kurzweil. I mean, it, it depends. I don't. I want. Just shout out to Ray. That's all. Just no, I, I, I'm, I, I, Ray, <laughs> Ray. I hope you make it for the singularity. Just, just shout out to Ray. So. However, like however I can, this is kind of the thing that like motivates me, and I feel like part of the big push now will be like AI will be part of every piece and aspect of what we do, and so it's exciting for me to be working in that sector in on artificial intelligence and introducing it to the masses at this early early stage. So like what gets up in the morning is like how can I have some kind of greater impact upon the world, and then how can I work with great people to do that. And it's really nice when sometimes you're founder because you can hire really like you have a choice in like hiring really great people yeah, and people who inspire you and, you know, are smarter than you, which is like the best feeling and the scariest feeling. Um, I, I doubt if you've been batting a thousand your career. Um, what, what, was, what, what tell me about a miss. I mean, I could be a Michael Jordan. No, <laughs> I, I so no people don't know. Like I did a like a startup like years ago, right after Mashable for a little bit. You know, raise some funding and all that sort of thing. But it can't, it started evolving to a point to like another social analytics company that I didn't want to do and my co-founder didn't want to do either. And so her and I decided like it didn't make sense to do it. And we, you know, we didn't spend a ton of money, but we returned it. But it was like a entirely scary moment. And I realized like I was doing this because I wanted to be a startup founder, not because I really had like something that really needed to be worked on that I like the opportunity didn't come to me. I was looking for the opportunity. And sometimes that works, but I really feel like the best ideas come from pain points. Mm -hmm. So like Leah Busk of TaskRabbit, for example, is one of my favorite examples. She didn't go out to be a founder. 
she just was literally like, why isn't there like a way to like get handy men or like at, at or cleaning like by like a push of a button? We have yeah. phones. And she just cut, went into her like cave at her house when she was at IBM and she made this thing in like two months. And that she did it out of necessity, out of a pain point she had. And that's where some of the best ideas come from. It's interesting because I, I feel like most of us are complainers or of, of some sort. You're like, I hate the like looking for stuff in the grocery store. That that, that is everyone's Twitter feed right now. Right. No, and, and, and I think we've yeah, that's a whole other philosophical journey. Oh right? yes, it's like it's like just complaint porn. But you know, to walk like for my example is walking through a grocery store. Every time I'm like, there should be a, Ralph's should have an app that I could like guides me around the store. Um, but I haven't sat down to make it right. Like, what's the difference between the person like me, who's a complainer, <laughs> um, and the person's like, you know what, fuck this, I'm actually gonna go and do it. Like, what have you seen, like the emotional mechanics or the intellectual mechanics that go into p- people that actually make a move? It's partly like that pain point hits you multiple times to a point where you wake up and you're thinking about it, and you go to sleep and you're thinking about it. That's the point in which, like, it's just you have to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, and the other thing is just like, is it something you're passionate about? Do you really care about the thing? And then do you have the people to work with to really make the thing possible? And so, like, I, I feel like a lot of times, like, it, it's unfortunate that a lot of great startup ideas fail because of bad founder pairings or bad founder teams or bad management. Mm. And you 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 need one uh, really complementary team, people who are, you know, do not have the same skill sets. You can't have three business-minded co-founders and expect to succeed. And you shouldn't succeed with, like, I've seen these super top-heavy ones, and, like, you can't have, like, five, 15, like, C-something O's. It makes no sense. You can't have eight founders. It doesn't work. <laughs> right. And you see it a lot, and it's just, you want to hit your head. Uh, and so you just have to, like, and, and then the bad management part, it's it's a it's just the humility to know that you don't know anything and that you, there are some things you may clearly be good at, but there are always going to be somebody better that you could hire. And your job is not to be the best, the best founder, the best CEO. Your job is to help make the rest of your team the best they can be hmm. and get out of their way and give them the resources they need and give them the vision and make sure money's in the bank. Like The rules like of, of being a founder are, in the long run, Keep make sure money's in the bank right. and make like so that like revenue and fundraising. It's recruit and hire the best people. It's set the vision and to communicate that vision internally and externally. And most everything else that pe- founders do can be passed off to other people over time and should be. Like if it's like this, only this founder can meet with the CEOs of companies. You're going to fail. Yeah, because that doesn't scale. You you finally got your rap. There's my rap. There's my rhyme. There's my rap. <laughs> you can drop the mic rap. now. <laughs> Um, the show is called Innovation Crush. I hope you knew that. Um, what have you seen out in the world that you're currently crushing on? It doesn't have to be something you're directly involved in. It might be a, a meal you had or some sort of food prep or a robot or a, I don't know. What, what is on your radar that gives you goosebumps right now? You're like, oh, my gosh, that was awesome. Mm, I'm going to stick it to just South by. So uh, yesterday. Let's stick it to South by. Uh, a shout out to my dear to my dear friend, Larissa Gull of CNN. She premiered her new uh, short film um, and series, Mostly Human, yesterday here at South By and had this wonderful episode that like about uh, robots and people falling in love with robots and uh, avatars and like 
understanding why people like fall in love with robots and there's a whole like industry around it and if you could build the perfect spouse should you is that going to even matter morally because it's just going to happen anyway yeah all sorts of she's bringing up all sorts of questions and it was a really like great experience to like think about that and discuss that and she did some great filmmaking and she has a whole series on cnn go now about being mostly human and like these different aspects like uh you know one piece of it was was sexual assault in the digital world is that acceptable what constitutes that uh how do people feel should there be laws yeah all sorts of things that seem crazy to discuss in some ways but are going to be real like legal and philosophical and social issues over the next few years are a do ais deserve rights when does an ai Mm -hmm. deserve rights do they deserve the same rights animals have that humans have never i yeah. All sorts of questions. No, we've been talking about that too. It's just like, you know, the murder case where potentially Amazon Alexa recorded bits and pieces of the incident, if I can put it lightly. Um, but even Martine Rothblatt, who's uh, CEO of Sirius, spoke a couple of years ago at South by um, about same thing AI rights and, and robotics and so on and so forth. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's great. So, what tell what's your friend's name again? And what's the series called? It's Lori Segal of CNN. It's CNN Go. It's called Mostly human it came out today um and then uh last but not least complete this phrase for me you ready you ready to complete a phrase is that the phrase (laughs) no there was no ellipses um innovation to me is it innovation to me is created under restraint well let me explain Shigeru Miyamoto, creator of Super Mario, when he was first inventing Super Mario, the restraints were you only have 16 by 16 pixels to create a character. And so for his new game, and he's like, how, how are we going to do that? And so they started like looking and experimenting and thinking. And they figured out, like, okay, we can't really do full hair, but we can do like a hat. And we can't really do a shirt, you can't tell, but we could do overalls with the 16 mm. by 16. And not a lot of colors pop out, but red really pops out. And you can't really tell a no, so we're going to have to make it big and put a mustache. And that restraint created Mario and Super Mario. And those restraints created a design that has, and a character who has survived the decades and is, in fact, one of the most recognizable characters of all time. Great innovation often happens under restraint. I think some of the best comedy can happen, for example, on Twitter, because you have the restraint of 140 characters to be interesting and clever. And having restraints helps you create innovation in the same way like you're restrained by something that currently exists. You want to find a way to overcome it or you want to find a way to create something new within those bounds. This is where I think true innovation actually happens. That's brilliant. Um, Thank you. Uh, I don't have any other questions. Where can people find you? Where can they get Captivology 2? Where can they go find (laughs) Octane? Like, Where do you want people to to join you? Captivology 2. The attention strikes back. Uh, yeah it was just birthed here i want to see that book in like six months well if disney doesn't sue me (laughs) so if disney does not sue me you can find me at ben par b-e-n-p-a-r-r on facebook twitter instagram snapchat and every social network you should also subscribe to my bot m.me slash ben par or just go to my facebook page and click message and then captivology is captivology.com or just search it in google or Amazon, or go to your local bookstore and you will find a copy of Captivology. 
and Octane AI, OctaneAI.com, and just or search Octane AI, and you can have a bot for yourself. Awesome. Does it cost me anything to, to make a bot? Not right now, no. And okay. we're going to make it so that you all the features that you have, like the features to like build an audience, will always be free. That's awesome. That's actually really awesome. Um, now I'm going to dig a little bit more deeply. Everyone, oh, go ahead. Yes. I was going to say, I'm looking forward to talking to your bot. I'm looking to your avatar, R- most likely. More so than me. That's like, yeah, just talk to your bot. I don't need you that. know what? You could put the best pieces of you in. Talk to your the avatar. bot. That'll be the new, instead of talk to the hand, it'll be talk yeah. to the bot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a good one. I'm going to keep that. <laughs> I knew I would get at least, get at least one in. Uh, everyone, this has been another installment of Innovation Crush, and we will talk to you next time. <laughs> <laughs>